right. Hi. I am really glad to be here. Are you? Some of you are going, I'll decide that later. The, um, um, I am I'm glad to be back in Chicago. And I, my wife and I lived in Chicago. Our four kids were born in Chicago. And I, was, I flew in United Terminal C. Anybody been there? Why they name them terminals with all the fear of flying, I'll have no idea. But I fly into Terminal C United, and I'm walking, and I hadn't been there in a long time, and I literally went, it's the same as it was 20 years ago. It, they haven't even painted. And, and I walked through, and I went, I miss United Terminal C. I miss Michigan Avenue at Christmas. I miss the Chicago Cubs and Wrigley Field. Anybody else? Okay. I miss... Giordano's, Lou Malnati, Gino's East, Gino's West, and every other pizza place in Chicago. The Chicago pizza, the worst pizza in Chicago is better than anything we have in California, people. Okay? And so I'm glad to be here. I also got one thing before I get rolling. Um, this is by far my favorite service wherever I speak because it's the 11 o'clock people. Okay? You are caffeinated. You are fed. You are more fun. This group is great. Okay? Watch this. Raise your hand if you're an early morning person. Raise your hand if you're an early morning person. Okay. Yeah, a few of you. Raise your hand if you're not. You are my people, man. My wife wakes up, good morning, Lord. I wake up, good Lord, it's morning. And so I, I don't believe in God till 10. So this is the, Steve, the first service that they have a believer preaching. Now, um, I'm going to come out swinging. Are you all ready? I'm going to talk about some stuff that I think is so important that if you get this, your life will be different for the rest of your life. And I actually would say this seriously. And if you don't get these three things right, you will have a severely diminished future. You will feel worse. You will be worse. And so I put it in some message notes. You'd have this for the rest of your life. So you would, if you would pull this out, I want to, the title of this is the most encouraging message you have never heard. And I want to start by saying this. There is an epidemic of discouragement in America. Wouldn't you agree? And it, you can have, there are people that are discouraged, there are marriages that are discouraged, there are teenagers that are discouraged, uh, politicians are always discouraging us. Are, are you sick of political ads already? And, and there's an epidemic of discouragement in America, and let me tell you why that is so severe. The reason it's severe is this. All the way through the Bible, what you discover is this, discouragement precedes destruction. Discouragement precedes destruction. Discouragement is a universal, contagious, repeating, highly destructive disease. We have a definition of discouragement. We use it Bayside. And discouragement, y'all ready? Discouragement is the anesthetic that the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in, carves out their heart, and ruins the rest of their life. It's tragic. Discouragement is the quicksand somebody gets into just before the rest of their life self-destructs. And I can prove it. Nobody's ever come, no young guys ever come up to me and said, you know, Ray, I am so encouraged about my marriage, I'm getting a divorce. I am so encouraged about how I'm doing in school, I'm dropping out. I am so encouraged about my job, I'm quitting. I am so encouraged about my church, I'm leaving it. Discouragement is a condition that when it arrives, when it arrives, 
When it arrives, if you don't deal with it and get rid of it, it can become fatal, okay? And the problem is this, we all get discouraged. Would you agree? All right, so put it this way. If you've been discouraged at least once, I don't know, in the last year, raise your hand. Me, everybody in here. If you've been discouraged at least once in the last month, raise your hand. Can be everybody here. If you've been discouraged the last week, just raise your hand. Okay? If the person sitting next to you is the main source of that discouragement, don't raise your hand. <laughs> My wife and I have, um, when we were living in Chicago, we had two boys, and then, surprise, Carol contracted pregnancy a third time. And... We were hoping, well, she went to the doctor to find out. I went to, I went to Trinity to teach. She went to the doctor to find out if it was a boy or a, you know, we're hoping for one or the other. And so I get home early. She comes home and I go run in the front door and I go, well, and she looks at me and she says, we better go in the back bedroom. We go in the back bedroom. She goes, you better sit down. I sit down. She looks at me and she goes, here, open this. She pulls out, it's double mint chewing gum. I look at her and I go, she goes, I keel over on the bed because that gave us four kids under four years old, okay? Would the ushers please come forward? And it was nuts, okay? Uh, I'm feeling, now, they're all grown. I'm feeling better because two of the four are off parole now, so we're feeling better about them. But the, um, I had a great conversation that changed my life. My daughter, Leslie, came home uh, about eight years ago, and she said, hey, Dad, I've been assigned, I have to write a paper on a leader. I picked you, and the professor knows who you are, so we said it was okay. So she goes, I got to write a paper on a leader. I picked you. They cleared it. You're the subject. And she goes, I have seven, or no, I have 20 questions, and you have to answer them all honestly. Anybody want to do that with your kids? So we, we're, we're in California, and we all have hot tubs in our backyard. It's the law. And, and so I, I go, let's go sit. In, so we go, we sit in the hot, we go sit in the hot tub, and we, I thought, I'm going to end up in hot water. Why not just start here? So we're, she fires 20 questions. Guys, it was awesome. We talked for two hours. Her last question was her best question. She said, what's the most important thing you do as a leader? What's the most important thing you do? Let me ask you, what, what's the most important thing you do as a teenager, as a husband, as a wife, as somebody who's saying, what's the most important thing you do as a Christian? What's the most important thing you do to guarantee your future and the people you love will have an amazing future? What's the single one thing you do that if you do that step, everything's better? And I said, honey, that's the easiest question you've asked me, and here's the answer. And if anybody thinks it long and deep enough, they will come to the same conclusion. I looked right at her and said, by far, the most important thing I do is this, Make sure I stay encouraged. It's make sure I stay encouraged because when somebody is discouraged, it's stage one in blowing up the rest of life. And I actually got, I looked at Leslie and said, honey, if I'm discouraged, if I'm not encouraged, I will never be the leader God wants me to be. If I, would you agree? If I'm discouraged, I will never be the pastor God wants me to be. If I'm discouraged, I will never be the communicator God wants. I could come out here and go, you know, I had a message prep, but I'm kind of bummed, so I'm going to lose. You know, they, they, 
if I, and I got choked up. I actually got choked up, and I looked at my daughter, Leslie, who I love, and I said, if I'm discouraged and don't bounce back, I will never be the dad you need me to be. And if I'm discouraged, I will never be the husband, mom, <laughs> dreams up I could be someday. Any guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, and, and that started a seven-year study of how do you let go of the disease, the destructive disease, how do you get out of the prison of discouragement and replace it with hope? I finally ended up writing a book. It took seven years because there was so much trite, shallow, stupid stuff on hope. We finally ended up doing, I, literally was, a, I was a professor, it was a research project for seven years. We surveyed a thousand people every state and said, what is it that causes what the Bible calls hope? What are the things? And we discovered there are seven things that if you build them into your life, you have hope you have more joy, you feel better, and you have a future. And if you don't build these things into your life, you have a severely diminished future and are probably not happy and you're enduring instead of enjoying life, okay? And there were seven things. These are the seven things I've tried to build into my life. I've tried to build them into my kids and into my church and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm going to unpack three of them for you today. Oh, by the way, y'all still ready? Y'all ready? Here we go. I want to ask you the three most important questions you ever ask, and I put these on an outline so you'll get them. So if you go to page two here, well, actually, stay on page one for a second. The Bible, let me give you a couple great anchor verses. Uh, the psalmist said this, I remain, what's the next word? People without hope are never confident. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. I want to pause right now. I just, I didn't say it's the other servant. I want to say it in this one because you're my favorite people. The, um, here it is, Willow Creek. If you've ever been discouraged about your church, God is not discouraged about the future of this church. Here is a great verse, Willow, for Willow. Okay, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord here in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord because God has not done work in here. Okay, the, notice this, the other great verse. This is one of the deepest verses theologically in the entire Bible. First Californians chapter 13, verse 13. And it literally says this, now these three things remain. And here's God's deepest, most lasting values for your memory. The first one is faith. The second one is hope. And the third one is love. And now this verse is crystal clear. The problem is this, most of us, we major in two of the three. Christians, we're really good at faith. Everybody's got a statement of faith. You've got Bible studies on faith. Uh, your church has a statement of faith. Whoever your new pastor is will have to have a statement of faith that matches. Number one is we major in faith. The other thing is this. We major in love. We sing about it all the time, talk about it. We major in faith. We major in love. Nobody ever talks about hope, which is why so many people are faithful and unhappy and depressed and discouraged because we've missed this in Christianity in America. And I want to give you the three questions that you can ask. Number one, it's on the next page. Number one is this, are my spiritual battery, batteries recharged? Because nothing works, including my iPhone, if it's dead. Nothing works when I'm running on empty. Number one, are my spiritual batteries recharged? Notice how, what the emphasis the Bible puts on this. The Bible says this, Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will run. 
renew their strength. Number one, the minute you recharge your spiritual batteries, you get stronger. Then it says this, they will soar on wings like eagles. You'll go to heights you could never go to. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You will have strength and stamina. You never have any other way. Matter of fact, the Bible says the minute you recharge your batteries, the minute you recharge your spiritual batteries, it impacts your life. I wanted to give you this as a resource. You can memorize these verses this week. The minute you connect with God on a weekly, daily basis, the minute that happens, you get, I recharge my batteries. Here's a I get reconnected to God. It renews your strength. It restores your perspective. It rebuilds your confidence. I love this. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You want lower fear, recharge your batteries. Then it does this. It restores your joy. It releases your anxieties, and it rekindles your hope. Raise your hand if you need any of those seven things in your life, because I sure do. Maybe the best way to describe it is this. The lady at Bayside... Um, told me this story. He said, um, my son was six years old and was the loudest, most rambunctious, craziest kid. Raise your hand if you raised one of these. Raise your hand if you were one of these, Steve. The, and she said, last week, I took my whole family, including my six-year-old son, to a fancy restaurant. And the whole night got wrecked. We're in the middle of this restaurant. And my son said, hey, can I say grace? And the whole restaurant heard him. And she said, before I could say no, he folds his arms and sitting there just says this, dear God, and the whole restaurant looks, dear God, thank you, Lord, for the food and the fork and the knife and the plate and on and on. And then he goes, and Lord, I will thank you even more if mom gets me ice cream for dessert and liberty and justice for all, Amen. She said, the whole restaurant cracked up, and along with laughter, we all heard an older woman sitting right over here, and she remarked out loud, and the whole restaurant heard it. Kids today asking God for ice cream, why I never, that kid's a disgrace. They should be ashamed. And she said, my son heard that, burst into tears, and with tears streaming down his face, she said, he looked at me and said, is God mad at me? Did I do it wrong? And she says, as I held my son and assured him, God was certainly not mad at him. Then an older guy heard the whole thing. He walks all the way across the restaurant and he leans on our table and everybody, and, and she thought, what now? And the old guy pointed right at my son and leaned across our table. And he said, he said these words, young man, I happen to know God. And I happen to know that God thought that was a fantastic prayer, young man. And he said, really? And he dried his eyes and he said, cross my heart. Then he pointed to the lady and said, too bad that old bat doesn't ask God for ice cream. <laughs> he said, some of you should say amen to this. He said, a little ice cream be good for your soul sometimes. Yeah, 11 o'clock services. And she said, naturally, at the end of that, I bought my son the biggest dish of ice cream they would bring him. His eyes got really big like saucers. And then without a word, he picked it up. He walked over to the lady. He set it down in front of her and said, here, lady, ice cream's good for the soul sometimes. My soul's good already, so this is for you. 
The, the, minute, the minute I heard that, I thought, that's exactly right, isn't it? The most important thing about you is not never failing. Your family, the most important thing about you is what shape is your soul in? That is the most important. I just trained 12 CEOs of corporations in Sacramento, and I actually started by giving up a prescription because they're all in the room because they want one thing. They want better days, better days for their company, better days for their employees. They want better days. You want better days for you? You want better days for your family? You want better days for Willow Creek? Want better days? You know, I looked at them and said, I can give you a prescription for better days, and here it is, okay? You're all here because you want something great to happen. Nothing great ever happens through you until it happens in you. Nothing great ever happens through you until it happens in you. And if I can pastor you all for a second, here's, here's what I would say. Too many people are missing, seek first the kingdom of God. And they're coming to church these days to evaluate instead of to worship. And they're not connecting with God at all during the week. And then they're going out, I'm trying to fix my marriage or I'm trying to fix whatever it is and nothing gets fixed because the, nothing great happens through you until it happens in you, okay? And, uh, the, and I have a concern about adult Christians in America. And here's my concern, okay? Matter of fact, there's gotta be somebody in here over 30. Is there anybody over 30? Gotta be a little one of you. Okay, good. Now, I have a concern about adult Christians. Far too many Christians in far too many churches, the older they get, they don't become more inspired, they become more opinionated. And the, would you agree? The last thing America needs are older adult Christians who are opinionated but uninspired. The question number one is this. Are my spiritual batteries rechargeable? Because when God starts speaking to me, all of a sudden I bounce back, then everything else bounces back. That's the first question. The second question is actually more fun. Here we go. Question number two is this. Am I future focused? Am I future focused? What I've discovered is this. Over seven years, I discovered most discouraged people are discouraged because they are looking back. And they're usually looking back and comparing the present to the back. It's a recipe for disaster. Nobody goes forward well when they are looking back. It just doesn't happen. One of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible is Philippians chapter 3.13. If you don't get this verse, I believe it's impossible to be spiritually or emotionally healthy without this verse. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I love Paul. He's going, you know what? I'm not, I haven't arrived. But he says this, one thing I do. What is it? Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. None of the ushers are in the service today, and a whole bunch of your staff is there, because we're going to try an experiment in Chicago. And I guarantee you, this is going to hit national news tomorrow. They're not in the service right now, because I brought a ton of newspaper and duct tape, and they are all out in the parking lot while you're here, and they are all duct taping your window, the newspaper to the window, so that you can't see out the windshield. 
and we're going to try an experiment in Chicago. And I guarantee you that will hit news. We are going to ask all of you to drive home. How many drove a car here today? Good. We're going to ask all of you to drive home today the entire way, on the expressway, whatever, only looking in your rearview mirror. How many of you, is anybody here going, I'll do it? Yes, there's always one. You are dangerous. There's always one. All of you are looking at me going, Ray, don't waste your paper, man. None of us, none of us in here are dumb enough to drive that way. You're exactly right. None of us are dumb enough to drive that way. All of us are dumb enough to try to live that way. And when you look back, you end up locked into a prison with what I call the three G's, guilt, grief, and grudges. Guilt, uh, what I've done, grief, what I've lost, grudges, what other people have done, and that will lock you into a self-imposed prison if you keep looking back. And I love, I'm going to give you a great quote for you, for your family, and for Willow Creek. Oswald Chambers said this, beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never been. That a great phrase. That a great, great quote. I want to tell you. I want to tell you a quick story. There is a church in Southern California. It's in the huge Palm Springs region. It's the only large church there. It's a great church called Southwest Church, and um, four services every weekend. And they um, they had three straight kind of pastoral disasters. Okay, and none of them. Some of these people were good people. It just didn't end well. And, um, and I went, they called and said, hey, can you come down here? And um, we, Bayside, by the way, I pastor a church called Bayside. It's a church for people that don't like church, okay? We almost named it Baywatch. Went with Bayside, probably a smart move. And um, all of our churches have one or more senior pastors on it, so they didn't need me that much. So I went down there about halftime, and I worked with them for about a year and a half. And one of the things I noticed about this whole region is this. It is lily white, okay? And so is the church. I mean, it, they just very little ethnic diversity in this place. And I start working with them to find the next pastor, okay? And, the, and my favorite candidate by far was a guy named Ricky Jenkins, 40-year-old African-American leader in, uh, in the South, uh, married, to a, married to a white gal named April, just a spectacular couple, great hearts for God, really just great people. They were my number one candidate. So I meet with the search committee and say, hey, take a good look at this person because I think he's number one. So they have a list of three people. I come back the next week, and he's not on the list. And I said, what happened to Ricky? And they said, well, we, we took him off the list. I said, why? And they said, because he's black. I'm like, what? And they said, no, no, no. Not because we have anything against that. We're not racist. It's just we don't think he would want to come to an area that's this white. And I said, well, why don't we let him tell us that? Duh. And so we put his name back on the list. Well, he comes in, preaches, kills it, and all, it, it's just amazing. And by the way, I am making no announcement about your search or anything like that. It could be two weeks, it could be two years. I have no idea. So this is just this is what I saw happen down there. So he comes in and just preaches and kills it. I watch this place fall in love with them. And then I get a phone call and they're going, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this huge congregational meeting, questions. So the whole church is going to be there. Could you come down and emcee it? 
uh, because we're hearing a couple troubling things. So I fly down, and we're on stage, and I'm sitting there. The whole congregation's there. It's a Sunday, massive thing. And I'm sitting here. Ricky's sitting here, and April's sitting here. And um, I had heard, somebody had told me, there's a couple people in this church that have said, I don't know if I can get comfortable being pastored by an African-American leader. And a couple people going, I don't know if I can get comfortable with a mixed marriage. So I thought, I'm a full disclosure guy, so I didn't bring it out. So I just, I said that to the whole group. And then I said, Ricky and April, have you ever experienced discrimination for ethnic reasons or because of your marriage? And they answered that with a lot of class. And then I thought, by the way, there's a great verse in Revelation that God says, behold, I am making all things new. God is in the business of making things brand new no matter what it's like right now. And I thought, I think he's trying to do something in the church in America. And, and so I just looked at the sea of people and I said to them exactly what I'd say to you. I looked at them and I said, I said here's what I've heard. I've heard some of you a couple of you are like, I don't know if I can get comfortable being pastored by an African-American, and I don't know if I can get comfortable with a mixed marriage. And the tension in the room was off the charts, just like right now here. <laughs> and I looked at this sea of people, and I said, if that's you, I said, I get that. Just come find me afterwards, because I would like to lead you to Jesus Christ, because you can't possibly be a Christian. Okay? And... The, um, the place exploded in applause, and we felt the Spirit of God blow into this building and sweep out discrimination out of that place. He has come to that church, that deeply discouraged, three straight pastoral He has come to that church. They are a thousand people higher. People are back. Joy is back. Bible teaching back. They are, that congregation is loved. It's amazing. And the thrilling thing is this. That church is now starting to look more like heaven than the divided states of America. And that is a very good thing. Okay? We, we serve a God who loves to make all things new. We serve a God who basically says this. No, here's what I say. Willow, God is working here. And God is working even when it does not look like God is working. Okay? And someday you'll be standing there going, what was I worried about? God knew what he was doing the entire time, even when it didn't look like it. That makes sense? Okay, I got to keep moving. Number one, am I spiritual about to retract? Number two, am I future-focused? And number three, is this, am I living to make great things happen? I, our, one of our churches in a town called Granite Bay, so many people there have a lot to live on and nothing to live for. The Bible encourages us to be the exact opposite. Check this out. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good what? Do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I couldn't wait to get to this point in the message. Y'all still with me, by the way? I couldn't wait to get to this point in the message because there's been something that's been bothering me in California, and I couldn't wait to get here to Willow to let it bother you. <laughs> and here it is. There's a new idol in America. The old ones are all still around. Hedonism, materialism, they're all still around. But there is a new idol in America, and I think it's wrecking kids. And it's wrecking churches and it's limiting our impact, and I think, and here it is, it's the idol of safety. Don't trust God, play it safe. Don't serve, play it safe. 
And at least, I'm sure this is not true here, but in California, we have these helicopter parents who don't even let their kids go outside until they're nine years old. And so, so a pastor named Scott Dudley made a list, and here, here it is. Would you agree with this? We are the most seat-belted, airbag, gluten-free, peanut-avoiding, hand-sanitized, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, face-mask-wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, password-protected, inoculated generation in history. Okay? And all it's done is make everybody more afraid of everything. Now, I'm not saying go out and take stupid risks for the sake of taking stupid risks. But what I'm saying is this. You can play it safe your entire life. You can live in a gated community. You can never meet anybody outside your community. You can never build a relationship with somebody that's outside your ethnic group. You can lock your car. Matter of fact, if you have a car here and it's locked in the parking lot, raise your hand. Yeah, look around. Probably smart. They, you, you, can, you can play it safe your entire life and still die in a stupid freak accident. Would you agree? So I Googled stupid freak accident. I am not making this up. In London, at the turn of the century, a giant vat of beer exploded and a 25-foot wall of beer spilled into the street and eight people drowned in beer. Some of you are going, well, if you got to go, okay? <laughs> in 1910, in Boston, Massachusetts, a giant vat of molasses exploded, and molasses oozed out into the street, killing 21 people, apparently 21 very slow people, okay? <laughs> the, oh, molasses, walk for your lives. The, um, <laughs> and the Isle of Safety is wrecking. So I made a couple lists, and here they are, most Christians don't give. Matter of fact, they tip. They don't tithe. Most Christians don't give. Why? It might not be safe. Most Christians don't serve. It might not be safe. Wait, you're the 11 o'clock voice. Most Christians don't serve. It might not be safe. Most Christians never, never share their faith. They never take a risk. They never take a stand. They never bring anybody to church because they might not be Safe. And I made another list. Here it is. Because the results of that is plan it safe. Shrinks our lives. Shrinks our faith. Shrinks our impact. Shrinks God and leaves you and I with shrunken up, shriveled hearts of fear our entire lives. And then we will die and wonder for all of eternity, billions of years, why a big God gave us one life to make an incredible impact, and it never happened because I never pulled the trigger and stopped living with fear. Now, this is the embarrassing part of this message, okay? I'm actually preaching to me. You just get to listen in. And really what I want to say is this. This whole thing I said about stop playing it safe, on Friday, I had just written a chapter and I, I mean, I am, I am fired up. I'm going, the American church needs this. I'm firing this thing up. And the whole title of the chapter is Stop Playing It Safe. So I'm typing this thing, and I wrap it up. I'm going, man, this is awesome, everybody. And I, everybody should live this way. Now, that's Friday. Three days later, it's Monday. So, of course, I have forgotten all about Friday. And I get a phone call. And it's Monday morning, a phone call, and I get a phone call from a buddy of mine in Cambodia. And the, this guy's out of our church, and he got so passionate about 
the fact that girls are being sex trafficked over there, it's insane, that he moved to his whole family to Canada and is, I mean, to Cambodia and is rescuing girls in Cambodia. And the two towns that he and we work in, get this, almost every girl in the town was sex trafficked. Almost every girl. Some of those girls sold out seven times a night. <laughs> Some of those girls as young as four years old. It's horrific. And, and, and he spent years there and awesomely rescued half the girls in each town. And then he calls me on this morning because he's going, he's going, man, Ray, this freaky thing just happened. The general over all sex trafficking Columbia called and said, I need you in my office. He's like, and he said, I said goodbye to my wife. I don't know if I'm being arrested, kicked out of the country. I have no idea what's going to happen. So I made sure I said goodbye to my wife, and I went to his office. And I sat down, and he, we just kind of looked at each other across the table. And he said, I looked nervously, and he finally looked and said, hey, relax. I like what you're doing. And then he said, then the general said to him, you guys are rescuing girls and making a difference. He said, the cops here are so corrupt we have not rescued a girl or arrested a guy in 10 years. Every time we do a raid, they've all been warned off. The, uh, the girls are gone. The pimps are all gone. He goes, we haven't made a difference, but you're making a difference. My buddy says, well, what are you thinking? He said, so here's what I want to do if you'd be interested. I want to know if you would be willing to team up with us. And he said, and I want to form, get this, a SWAT team of some Cambodians I trust and some Westerners you trust, we will train them, equip them, and we will unleash a SWAT team to try to make a real difference. Are you up for it? What would you say? My buddy goes, absolutely. He goes, what do you need? And he goes, here's the problem. This is going to cost about a quarter million dollars to get materials, equip, all this stuff. He said, this is Cambodia, man. We got no money. Do you know anywhere you can get $250,000 fast? He goes, yeah. Let me call this guy named Ray. I'm on the phone going, um, and here is exactly what I, I mean, two and a half days ago, I'm writing a chapter. Don't play it. But it's Monday. And I, here is exactly what I say. Man, I am so sorry. You know, we got your back. We all the time. I said, the problem is this, man. I just talked about money in our church for six straight weeks. We raised a bunch of money. We gave it away. And I said, I'm just afraid if I talk about money one more time, they're going to throw me out because nobody wants to hear the pastor talk about money. Steve, wouldn't you agree? Like, did anybody come here this morning going, I hope they talk about money? Nobody does. And I said, I like the church. I don't want them to shoot me. So, and I actually said this on the phone. I said, it just doesn't feel safe right now to talk about money in my church. He goes, that's okay. God. He hangs up. I hang up. And I am miserable. Raise your hand if you've ever known what it's like to have God on your back. And God is on, I literally, I, and so about two days, I'm, finally, I call our pastors into a room, and I, and I tell them, I tell them the whole story, and our pastors light up. They're like, that's awesome. Man, we should do that. And they're like, what kind of cold-hearted jerk could ever say no to that? <laughs> right here. So I thought, I need to buy, Steve, I thought, I need to buy some time. So I call this guy, and I thought, I'm going to ask him for a full business plan, and that'll give me like a couple months. 
He goes, already wrote it. He goes, I'll email it to you. For like five minutes later, I have this business plan. The problem is this. I have never gotten a business plan. I mean, people like Steve and I, we get like, we need Bibles. We need basketballs. We need drugs. I've never. This one is, we need two surveillance vans. We need arrest vehicles. We need, you know, uh, we need 25 bulletproof vests. We need bullets for Jesus. You know, all this stuff. And at the end of it, at the end of it, 250000 bucks. Well, I thought, you know what? We take second offerings at our church. Do you guys take second offerings here? Well, we should. The, um, and, and we, and so I thought, I'm going to take, we're going to take a second off. Christmas Eve was coming up, and that year I think we had 37 Christmas Eve services. I mean, it's in, Bayside's insane. And that the Christmas morning, I'm, I'm waking up going, Christ is risen, I'm dead. The, um, and so we have, thir- so what happens is, I just get up, and I, all, all, all the Christmas Eve services, I tell them the same story I told you, and so we're taking a second offering. We need a quarter million dollars to launch this SWAT team. And I am here to tell you people, our people did not give $250,000 on Christmas Eve. They did give over $400,000 on Christmas Eve, which we didn't keep a dime of. We sent the entire thing there. We sent the entire thing over there. And that SWAT team has been operational for almost 24 months now. And to date, they have... They have rescued over a thousand girls, and they, the best part is there are 64 really bad guys that are in prison that have been arrested because of it. And then he calls me back and goes, We need some more money. I go, Why? He goes, We are going to build Cambodia's first ever elementary school for these rescued girls, three story high. It holds 1,500 girls, and that is built and done. All, by the way, would you agree? This is cool stuff. A thousand girls rescued, led to Christ, and getting an education. 64 bad guys who can never again hurt young girls. Is that awesome? And the reason I'm telling that whole story is this. The entire thing almost didn't happen for one reason. No. Me. (laughs) Me. God has put you and I here on this planet to make some great things happen. And when I don't live that way, when I let fear and discouragement restrict me and confine me into a prison, and I live in that prison my entire life, there are people that could be rescued. There are girls who could be different. There are bad guys that could be neutralized. There is a world to love and bring the love of Christ to. And if we are huddled up, scared, and that kind of stuff, that is no way to live. People, would you agree? That is no way to live. And I'm going to wrap this up. Steve, would you come on up? I'm going to wrap this up. And I want to do one thing. I just want to apply this, okay? And here's what I want to say. Number one, as a person, if you're going, I want my life to be better. I want to be a better, you know, teenage. I want my teenagers to be better. I want my marriage to be better, family, whatever it is. What's God's prescription? It's crystal clear. Draw near to God. Recharge your batteries. Do it every day this week. Number two, for God's sake and for your sake, let go of guilt, let go of grief, let go of grudges, and start looking forward to a future God has, and get out of the prison of your past and let it go. God can be found in the future creating it for you. He was there all the time, but God's got better days ahead for you. And third is this, for God's sake and your sake, uh, just start living to make great things 
happen. The first one, here's the deal. When you recharge your batteries, you're fueled. When you look forward, you're free. And when somebody is fueled and Christian is freed, man, look out. They're going to make some great things happen. I also want to say something to Willow. Um, I owe this church a lot. My four favorite years in church ever were spent here. And when I was a professor, and we came here every week. Your church taught me that it was okay for the Christian church in America to care about people that were in the community. You could shut the doors of most churches in America, and the community would never even know they were gone. Not this church. Okay? You taught me that. Um, this church prayed for me before we went and launched Bayside. Bayside, right around here. I got prayed for, and we went and launched Bayside. Um, and what I want to say to you, Willow, is this. I know you've had a rough season here. And, but I want to say this. You, and I can say this on behalf of every other pastor in America, you are by far the most influential church in America. You are also right now the most prayed for by Christians of any church in America. Okay? You... And I believe God wants this church running on all eight cylinders, and I believe this, no matter what's going on, God is working when it does not look like God is working, and God has better days ahead even when it doesn't look like it, okay? All God's people said, amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, bow your heads and close your eyes, and just shut everybody out around you. And I'm going to have Steve pray for you, but I have a first thing to do. With nobody looking, just you and God. Some of you are here going, man, I would love, love to walk out of here knowing I'm forgiven. I'd love to walk out of here with a clean slate and a fresh start. I would love to walk out of here knowing that Christ is in my life and I will never be without him again. I just, I would love that. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I want God's presence and power every second of my life. And if you're here and that's you, Jesus is right here. That can happen right here, right now. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you're going, I need forgiveness, I need grace, I need a new start, I need Christ in my life, I want God working in my life. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray with me silently, because that can happen right here, right now. So if this is what you need, this is your moment. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Even when I went my own way, and right now, I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. I let the past go. Jesus Christ, I receive you this morning. Come into my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Make me the person you want me to be. Thank you. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. But if you prayed that prayer, we would love to pray for you that the rest of your life is the best of your life and the most blessed of your life. So if you prayed that prayer right now, would you lift your hand? Just raise your hand. Man, there's a sea of you. Raise them way up, way up. Awesome, awesome. The second part is for some of you, and here it is. You, God brought you here because you have been so discouraged. And it may be about the church, it may be about a marriage, it may be about a teenager, it may be about your parent, it may be about whatever, health, whatever. And if you're going, man, I just need a fresh touch from God. 
I need to let go of discouragement, and I need hope rising in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? And Steve's going to pray for you as well. Awesome. Steve, would you pray for these folks? Yeah, so Father, this is our prayer. God, first for that group that just raised their hands just a moment ago, receiving grace, receiving forgiveness, acknowledging belief, this is what we'd ask God. God, would you seal that choice, seal that decision. Would they know that you see them, you saw their hand, you heard their prayer. God, would you grow them in their faith? Would you give them joy and hope and love? God, would you use them in this church and in our world? God, we're grateful for them. And now, God, we ask you to be with them, that you join them in this and you grow them up. God, for the second group who raised their hand, just admitting discouragement has got too big a place in their life. God, this is what I pray for them. Might they know right now your great joy. Might they sense your hope. Might they become future focused. Might they leave things in the past, in the past, things that can't help them. Let go of it so they can grab onto the future you have for them. God, I'd ask that they find a group of friends, a community that can lift them, walk through life with them so they know they're not alone. God, I ask that their hope would actually inspire others in their home and in their neighborhood and in their work. God, would you use them? And God, might they become one of those people not ruled by fear, but freed up to have the courage to live a life you want, to do great things that you've always desired they do. So God, we ask that for our whole church. We ask that for all of us, God, that we would be so committed to your future. We could let go of the things that are hindering us so that we can finish the race that you've got for us. God, that's our prayer. So would you do this now, God, in our church and in our families and in our marriages and in each of us as individuals. God, we commit ourselves now to you in the name of Christ. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.